As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm Mark McGettigan, a.k.a. the FPL General. I've had three top 500 finishes during my time as a Fantasy Premier League manager, and I want to help you to be the very best fantasy manager you can be. So join me every week as I share my tips, tricks, and insight on the Athletics FPL podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, and listen ad-free on the Athletic app. Athletic. Hello, how are we? Welcome. Welcome to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast with me, Ali Maxwell. We are two days removed from England women's semi-final win against Sweden, 4-0, and we're two days in front of their final against Germany. As the tournament progresses, the games get more important. And the podcasts get more and more simple. Today, a brief look at the key takeaways from the two semi-finals and then a preview of England against Germany in the Women's European Championship final on Sunday at Wembley. Cox and Carey are with me. That might sound like a recruitment agency. In fact, they are some of the Athletics' sharpest footballing minds. Michael handling the tactics and Mark massaging the numbers. Hello, Michael. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to the final. It's been a good tournament. England versus Germany on whatever stage is always obviously a standout fixture. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Just over a year since I believe you were at Wembley for England against Italy in the Men's European Championships final. Um, Feeling burnt, hurt by that memory or is that nothing to do with this Sunday? You're going into it with hearts and eyes open. No, I think uh, I think Sunday will be obviously a very different encounter, um, and I think England just about start as favourites. I think Germany a good side, but I think with home advantage, with a day extra rest, I think England just have the edge. Um, but maybe we'll need to play better than they did against Spain and Sweden, certainly in the in the first half hour of those two games. Well, let's start with a, a brief. Tactical look at England for Sweden nil. Most of the fallout, most of the reaction has been covered brilliantly by 
well, written and audio content on the Athletic site. But I wanted to ask you about the, the tactical makeup of the game because I did think it was pretty interesting, Michael. At the first half an hour specifically, before England took the lead, before they went 1-0 up and cantered to a 4-0 victory, how did this game look? What was the, the flow of the encounter? Well, I think Sweden were the better side for the first half hour. I think they really basically failed to take the chances. Blackstinius went in behind, Rolfer went in behind, but didn't quite have the composure. Um, and I think Sweden surprised England um, just from little things that Fran Kirby said in her pre-match press conference. I think England were preparing to play against the back five. Sweden play, often play that way. They started the tournament that way. But they went with the back four. They pressed England well and they broke with speed. And it was quite interesting, really, because the game completely transformed with that first goal. And I was kind of trying to work out really what England had done differently. And I think the answer was that they didn't do anything differently. It was just against the run of play. It was just a bit of a, you know, a goal out of keeping with what we'd seen before. But as I think we've seen in a few games at this tournament, when the, the favourites have maybe started slowly and got the first goal, it, it then becomes very simple for them. I, f- I felt like that a little bit in the Norway game. I don't think England were great in the first 10 minutes. Mm. But as soon as they scored the first, the floodgates opened. And to a certain extent, this happened against Sweden as well. But I thought 4-0 uh, was was pretty harsh on Sweden, to be honest. I think the XG was something like 2.7 against 2 or something like that. It was, yeah, suggested it, it could have been a 2-1 game or something like that. But I think 4-0 was, yeah, slightly flattered England. Yeah, I don't know if it's because, as you say, Michael, because England, England scored the first goal and then maybe... The, the goal changed the game, as you say. I don't know if it's a quirk in the data, but I basically looked and found that England didn't win the ball back in the attacking third once against Sweden across the whole game. And I don't know whether it's because, obviously because England know that Sweden are dangerous at sort of getting in behind as they showed in those early stages. I think Lucy Bronze was pushing up a little bit too high and obviously getting uh, Sweden were getting joy down her side. But, mm. you know, for context, that's the the lowest uh, among the other games that England played was eight occasions that they turned the ball over in that final third. So I just wonder how much they were planning to not actually go too gung-ho in the press because it then would have meant that they'd had to have pushed up, squeezed the play even more, and then Sweden would have had a bit more joy in behind. So maybe the, the goal actually changed the way that England played as a consequence as well. Michael, I did smile because tasked with writing a tactical breakdown of this game. Um, Some games are tougher for you than others. This one, I don't know if you found this easy or hard, but the majority of your piece, and I don't mean to do you a disservice, was quotes from the two managers, Wiegmann and Gerhardsen. I was struck by how openly they discussed the the tactical flow of the game, the issues that Sweden caused England, and then uh, their response to that. It was fascinating to see two managers break it down like that. Yeah, it was fun and I don't mean to sound too arrogant here, but the reason why they answered it so um, so fully was because I asked the question. I mean, what did you ask Serena Wiegmann? Just about why the game changed and what they did differently. And yeah, she said the kind of the players found the solutions themselves. And Gerhardsen, who, who he loves talking about two things. He loves talking about music, which obviously doesn't come up too often. And he loves talking about tactics and... Um, yeah, despite the defeat, he was quite quite honest, quite open about it. So yeah, it's it's not often, like you say, it's not often I would do an article that is mainly quotes. But if you ask the questions, you can get away with it. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it was interesting. I didn't need to add too much. I didn't actually include these quotes, but I think Leah Williamson said something similar. We were playing badly. We just happened to get the goal and um, change the game. 
Sounds like you should be asking the questions on this pod as well. I feel like I feel like my job's under threat here. Um, uh, Vigman said what they did was really smart. We couldn't pass back and forth between our centre-backs and that made it hard. They just stayed with two of our players and then we needed some extra players to start our possession game and get out of that press in the first place. We had trouble with that. We were too loose on the ball and you know with Sweden that if you lose it when you shouldn't, they were gone on the counter-attack. And Gerhardsen then impressed with the way England solved that problem eventually. Um, they tried to play more in the centre, he said, so he had problems with that. The central midfielders, um, that was one thing they changed. I don't think they created much from it, but we had problems making the press work. So really interesting first half hour. Of course, the 1-0 goal changes everything and just such a great goal to, to watch. Four bits of quality. Uh, Daly's outside of the boot ball, down the line for Hemp. A fantastic first-time cross that Ellen White was two inches away from converting herself. And then Bronze, who, yes, had been caught out, but but didn't get deterred by that, motoring down the touchline to keep the attack alive and delivering an excellent first-time cross on the run. And, of course, the touch and finish uh, from me. Just a really exciting uh, piece of play, yet again, from this England side, Michael. Yeah, and it kind of sums up what they're all about. I mean, they do attack down the flanks, and that was in two completely different ways, fullback to winger down the same side. So yeah, it was a really good goal. I think Beth Mead took took the finish just absolutely brilliantly. It was just, I think that kind of, how quick it was between the two touches just meant it was so difficult to to get a block in or to save it. Um, yeah, and from there, England were quite comfortable, I think. I think the more Sweden pushed forward, the more England looked to break in behind as well. So it really was just the first goal that, that completely changed the game. I think, as you say, if you look at just the the assist from Bronze and the the goal from Mead, very well taken. Um, you know, you can look at the metrics purely on that. But I like to look a little bit further back, and I haven't actually got the numbers on this. But I think if you were to look at the expected threat or the possession value, which you know we've spoken about before, those metrics that look to quantify all the players' actions towards their you know the chances of scoring a goal. Um, you mentioned it, Ali, with with Rachel Daly's action. I think that would have been a really key one because she played that pass forward to to Hemp, but she also dribbled and just sort of drove forward really committed players and I think she was the difference in really changing the kind of the gear within that move um, so while she was kind of further back within the move when you think about all the actions that happened you know following that um, I think she was really key to that goal and um, deserved credit for sure and I loved the the 3-0 goal because as much as Russo's finish uh, gets the headlines I, I think based on everything you've said and everything you've explained and described to us, Michael, over the last few weeks, it felt like a really clear snapshot of, of one of England under Wiegmann's regular patterns of play and and you can see why they're so difficult to defend against. If you just take it back to the moment where Daly has the ball in possession again, playing sort of inside as a fullback in, in the half space, if you will, and Kelly, I think it is, on the left wing holding extreme width to, to give the 1v1 option if there's a pass into her. Um, Kirby running into that inside channel space as well and taking one of the Swedish defensive midfielders with her and that creating the space for Walsh to move into uh, from deep. Uh, great awareness from Kirby, of course, to, to bounce it straight into her first time and then and then the, the sort of running behind from Kirby. Brilliant pass by Walsh and pulled back to Russo for what was a, a clear shot of goal 10 yards out, which she didn't convert, giving her the opportunity to, to provide that piece of magic. But you can see how difficult that is when they get it right, Michaels. Sweden's defence were just all at sea by the point of uh, of Kirby being played through. But it was you, you could sort of move back five steps and, and see it coming almost. And they are opening up defences that are otherwise well set, which I don't think that many other teams are doing. Sweden didn't really do it throughout this tournament. It was counter-attacks and set pieces. 
Spain notably didn't do it despite all the possession they had. So, yeah, they are good in that respect. It tends to be the attacks, the real decisive plays come from wide. But I think the midfielders work really well as well. Kira Walsh, I think, has been particularly good in that deep role. So, yeah, that was a lovely goal. Rachel Daly had a tough time against Spain, as we discussed on the last pod, but uh, bouncing back here with a strong performance. Uh, you mentioned Kira Walsh there. A- any other players, guys, that we need to praise before moving on to the other semi-final mark, perhaps? I thought Leah uh, Williamson had a, a really commanding game on and off the ball, to be perfectly honest. I know that you mentioned those quotes before, Ali, about um, you know Sweden stopping them from really passing back and forth between the centre-backs. And I actually looked at it and Williamson's passing numbers were, were really interesting. She made 86 passes within the game, which was comfortably the highest for anyone in the England team on the night. And by contrast, Millie Bright had only made 38 passes, which was by far the lowest tally of her tournament so far. So it shows how, first of all, we, we know that Williamson's very comfortable on the ball, but it shows just how much she took the the game to start the build-up as much as she could, even when you know England weren't able to, uh, to do it very clearly. So... She was, yeah, really commanding on the ball, playing some great diagonal balls, but I thought she was a really calming presence off the ball as well, which I think we spoke about bright, especially in the first game. I think this was uh, the one for Williamson this time. I was going to say Williamson as well. I thought her, her balls into kind of positions between the lines or over the top for Beth Mead's runs were really good. So yeah, I would have highlighted her as well. Okay, well, England's opponents in the final are Germany because they got past France on Wednesday night at pre-game... This felt so well poised, very evenly matched. No one, as far as I could see, was confidently predicting a winner. And the game played out similarly. Michael, Germany edged it in the end. How did the match look? What were the ebbs and flows of this one? Yeah, I thought it was a good game between two decent sides. I must say on the day, I think Germany were the better side and probably deserved of the win. I thought it was quite interesting tactically. I mean, one of the... I think a lot of teams in this tournament are playing quite a similar way. But I think one thing Germany are doing very well is down their right, Julia Gwynn, the right back, is is tucking inside a lot and making kind of diagonal runs into central midfield, almost playmaking positions at times. And I think that ended up dictating really how the game went because um, at halftime, France took off Mallard, their main striker, to bring on Basher who is a left back, left winger. So it's almost like she was brought on to do a job on Gwyn. And that meant Cascarino went to the right where she wasn't that comfortable. It meant Diani went from the right to the centre forward position. And then it meant they made another change where they took off Cascarino, who was now on the right, and put on Matteo, who ended up playing almost as number 10 and was their main playmaker. So it was almost like what Germany did ended up just tweaking bit by bit. France into a completely different system but I must say I thought Germany were the better team they they do a lot of things very well they press well high up um, I think they adjusted well uh, to the loss of Clara Ball who tested positive for Covid it meant that Huth went to the the left Brand was on the right maybe not her best performance but yeah overall I, I thought Germany were the better side there were a few mistakes I thought Higgering had a bit of a dodgy game at centre back Um but I, I, I just can't have that France goal. That's just my least favourite type of goal in football <laughs> where goal. the shot hits, hits the post, hits the goalkeeper and bounces in. I just, it just really annoys me. It just <laughs> shouldn't count as a goal as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's the thing. Technically, Germany haven't conceded a goal from a, an opponent because the wow. only goal that they've conceded is an own goal if you were to do it on a technicality. But I, I do agree. I think it was a, a really tight game. I think, yeah, Germany probably did just, just edge it. But France did have their their fair share of 
chances that especially that one with Hagering where she she passed it back to she didn't really look but behind her passed it back to um, I think Diani picked it up and she probably should have squared it to Giora but mm. I think it was actually quite good defending to to block the the passing lane and it sort of forced Diani into a, a shot from from a tight angle really but you know that was a big chance and if that that was at 1-1 as well so if that was at 2-1 you know put it as 2-1 um, it could have been very different because it was going so so late in the game before it was a, a winner but Got to mention Alex Pop, haven't we? <laughs> Again, popping up with a goal and six goals in five games, I think now. So yeah. she was the difference in the end. Absolutely amazing finish for the first goal. I couldn't believe how impressive that finish was for 1-0. The, the difficulty of that finish, I think for anyone who's played a lot of football, across from the right, to be at full stretch with your left foot and, and, and knowing that there's really only one quite specific part of your foot to connect with to generate both the power and the direction uh, needed uh, absolutely took my breath away. That's not to mention the incredible visual of her attacking the cross for the second goal as well, where you could see her coming from metres away uh, <laughs> and getting up and, and thumping it home. Michael, just fantastic individual moments from Pop. Yeah, two great goals. And and the thing I liked about the first, I think it was after the second pod of this tournament we did, that I said, the thing that I've really noticed about this tournament is how good the wide player on the far side is at attacking the cross. Mm. And I know she's the centre forward, but in that position there was, I guess it must have been Huth as the number nine and she was coming in at the far post. And there's been so many goals scored like that. But I mean, she's just so good in those situations. You know, Mark uh, produced a shot map that shows her, uh, well, all her shots of the tournament. Um, but particularly her six goals, and they're all from kind of point-blank range, kind of between the penalty spot and the six-yard box, often converting crosses. And she's been the ma- a major factor in terms of the pressing as well. Um, so, yeah, she's... I know it's her versus um, me, doesn't it, for the golden boot, but I think I think you have to say Pop scored the, the more decisive goals and just doing it in all five games is mm. so rare. Yeah, an all-round centre-forward play, I think. Like the game that I went to against Austria, she just was able to bring others into play. She was relentless in the press and obviously scored the goal as well. But I think she did it well, as you say, Michael, kind of attacking from the back post. She did well to to avoid Wendy Renard, I think because obviously we know how dominant Renard is in, in the air. Um, I think you said in the last part, Ali, she had the most shots of anyone in the tournament mm-hmm. last, last time we spoke, which is mad to think, obviously, from aerial threat from corners, right? But she did really well to avoid Renard so that she could obviously get the run and she'd know that um, Park would know that she can uh, attack that space and be the dominant force because if she was up against Renard, she probably wouldn't get as much change from her. Yeah, as we stand looking at the Opta Analyst uh, stats for the tournament, Renard and Blackstenius joint top in terms of, <laughs> of shots taken with 18, albeit Renard's only four on target and Blackstenius had 12 on target. Renard must be wondering, you know, who she's upset in a different life because even in that semi-final, um, a, a good headed chance, downward header, Pop has 17, so probably will, um, well, likely end up with uh, with the most shots in the tournament and very possibly with the most goals as well. Uh, just touch on France as they head home. Michael, what are your overall thoughts on, on France's tournament and how it will be remembered? Maybe a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, I think that performance against Italy, particularly the first half, they were absolutely sensational. It felt a little bit weird that they were that good. I mean, Gross Gaioro scoring a hat-trick, I don't think anyone expected that and Sure enough, she went into the... One of the commentators said ahead of the semi-final, she only needs one more goal to equal the most number of goals a France player has scored at Euros. It's like, okay, but she hasn't scored for three (laughs) games. Like, it was just a hat-trick out of the blue. 
I mean, it was a funny one. They obviously didn't pick Amandine Henri in the squad, who maybe is the well one of the best central midfielders around. Um, and then Katoto, you know, losing her to injury, but I think was just a blow they couldn't quite recover from. Mallard did okay. Slightly underwhelmed by them in the end, having looked so good in that first half against Italy when they were just absolutely sensational. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is just a shame that Katoto got injured in the, the early stages of the tournament. I think we tipped her to be one of the league contenders for the golden boot. So, you know, Mallard did come in and did okay, I think. Sort of quite a hard task to, to come in and try and be on the same level as Katoto. But, you know, who knows? Yeah, if Katoto would have been fit for the, the whole tournament, we might have been you know, speaking differently about France. Well, as for Germany, they're into the final against England. Uh, and after the break, we'll find out their strengths and weaknesses and adapt our excitement levels accordingly. Stay with us for that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, let's take a look at the final on Sunday, 5pm at Wembley, England versus Germany. Uh, Michael, from an England perspective, the most straightforward predicted team selection of all time here? <laughs> I think so. Um, I'm waiting for you to say, Yeah, I actually got a funny feeling she might start Russo here. Start Russo. Well, <laughs> you've said it. Given, I, I will bring this up because you've, you've patted yourself on the back twice on this pod. One, for some good questions in the mm. press conference. Two, for some you know really incisive analysis of, of back post goals being scored by attacking players. So we'll true. bring up the fact that three times you've told us this is the time Russo will start and three times you've been wrong. Yeah, I've, I gave up by the semi-final. It's just... Uh, I, I don't know how to feel about it because obviously England got through to the final, so you can't really argue with what with what uh, Wigman's doing. And she's doing a brilliant job overall. But when you look at the actual evidence of the games, I'm not convinced there's enough to say that she's doing the right thing by starting White because England were poor in the first half against Spain and they were poor in the first half hour against Sweden. Although I think one of the things, to be fair... 
that did change was why it started coming deep and receiving the ball to feet a bit. And I thought that did, you know, ask Sweden a few more questions. I mean, personally, I just feel that Russo's in brilliant form. I think she's so much more difficult to play against because I think she's more of an all-rounder. So yeah, I mean, personally, I would start Russo, but I've 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 given up any hope of that happening. Yeah, it will surely be an unchanged eleven and playing the same eleven in every game of a tournament. That's I mean, that's never happened before. I'm I'm sure in any competition. I mean, that is incredible. You're confident it? enough to to not bother with the research here and just say definitively <laughs> that's never happened before. Lay down the gauntlet. I reckon there's at least one listener of this pod that both has the requisite time on their hands and probably <laughs> the sort of yeah. personality that means they really have to check this just to try and prove you wrong. Okay, well, if anyone can, should we say five games minimum? So you include the kind of eight team Euros up until 92 because then there was only two <laughs> knockout games. That, that counts. Criteria for this is amazing. I think, I think that's fair. If anyone can prove me wrong, I, I mean, I, I'm fascinated. Now, I know it's never happened in the women's Euros, but that's a relatively small sample size. I just can't believe it's happened. That's that's really. I mean, and the amazing thing is, there's a dead rubber within that. There's yeah. a dead rubber, and then she started the same team. It's quite interesting. And even I thought an interesting thing as well was uh, against Sweden. Obviously, they're four 0 up. You got five subs. The game is won, and I think there's at least two outfielders in the squad who haven't had any minutes. So I thought, well, maybe she'll give give a, you know give them a chance, just get them some minutes. Absolutely not. No, she's sticking to her core group and obviously feels that if, you know, if there's a chance she's going to have to bring on Jill Scott, for example, at the weekend, then bring her on against Sweden to get us in minutes. You know, you, you can't fault the logic, but if you're Lossa Wabamoy or Jess Carter or Demi Stokes, I think are the three, you must be thinking, come on, you've had five subs every game. You've been 8-0 up, you've been 4-0 up, you've had a game where nothing was riding on it. <laughs> Give me some minutes. Wiegmann believes in rhythm. We've said it before. We know that. Um, it, it's it's going to be the same starting eleven, barring injury. Of course it will be. Um, but, but Michael, you've touched on something that we need to address here, and that is that in England's last two games, they have been second best to start the game, second best at nil-nil. That's the sort of trend you don't want to become a regular thing. So... How concerned should we be about the fact that England have been second best at nil-nil in their last two games? Yeah, I think they should be a little bit concerned. Yeah, I, I think they've they have started games slowly, um, and I think that could be an issue against Germany, who are the most energetic side of the competition, press very high, force the issue. To me, it seems like England might have to withstand a bit of pressure in the first ten, fifteen minutes. I'd be fairly confident after that that England can settle down and dominate the game. One notable thing about Germany is actually related to the ask I did today, but the pass completion rate is very low. I mean, it's lower than the average for this tournament. They're the only one of the 14 teams who are at this Euros and the last one whose pass completion rate has dropped since last time. It's actually dropped by quite a lot, something like 7% or something like that. Um, but is there an, so is there an, obvious, like, is there yeah. an obviously visual or via the stats sort of trade-off that they've that they've decided to make that the managers decided to make where clearly you know they're, they're less interested in retaining the ball and are they benefiting from that for example in transition or in direct attacks yeah I think that is true um, I can only vaguely remember them at the last tournament but my memory is that they were almost like Spain in the sense they kept the ball for really long periods and didn't always do enough with it 
And yeah, this time they are trying to get the ball forward quickly. They're trying to get the ball up to pop. They're trying to find Huth and Bull on the break. But it is, I mean, uh, someone in the comments section uh, section of the article today, actually, whose name is just initials MB, pointed out that Lena Oberdorf, who's been getting rave reviews for her performances in the defensive midfield role, has got a 61% pass completion rate, which is, I mean, that is really low for a, a good technical side. And, you know, a side who in the final could well win the competition. So they haven't been that precise with the passing. I mentioned Hegering made a couple of mistakes as well against France. Um, so I think England are definitely the better side in possession, which you wouldn't have said against Spain. And you maybe would have said against Sweden, although I think that was fairly even. I think England will dominate the ball here, but it's that pressing high up that has led to four German goals in this mm. tournament, directly winning the ball in the final third and scoring almost immediately. I think that's what they've got to be careful of. Clearly, plan A has worked pretty well for, for Germany. At the same time, Michael, if it was the surprise approach of Gerhardsen and Sweden that had Wiegmann and England looking a little uncertain in the first half an hour of that semi-final. It, it makes me wonder if springing a surprise on England and changing their approach, at least to start with, might be an option for Germany. Is, is there anything obvious you could see them doing on that front or are they pretty wedded to, to how, they, how they play? I always struggle to answer this kind of question because I, I always end up saying the sentence, I'd be surprised if there was a surprise, <laughs> which is the, the stupidest thing you can say. I mean, I think the thing with Germany, a little bit like England, and like a few of the good teams in this tournament, they can kind of change the midfield triangle with the same three players. So sometimes it's been 4-3-1, sometimes it's been 4-3-3. I don't think they really vary stuff that more than that. Um, they did, of course, for the semi with um, with Bull out. They moved... Um, Huth onto the opposite wing, but that was enforced. I think otherwise we're going to see the same team um, playing in probably a familiar style. But yeah, the shape of the midfield triangles, I think, is maybe the most interesting question here. Mark, perhaps looking at the numbers, is there anything obvious to to suggest what Germany's pure strengths are and how well protected or vulnerable uh, England are to them? Yeah, I think Michael's mentioned it in, in previous pods of just how solid they are all over the pitch as a as a unit. You know, I think the the whole is kind of greater than the sum of their parts with with Germany. Even though I know we've spoken about individuals throughout, but um, I think we said it before how relentless they are in their pressing. Um, you're looking at their PPDA, so their PPDA is eight point four, and that's the second lowest, but the second highest intensity. As we often have that just difference there. Um, they're average in the tournament. So behind Spain, who are obviously out of the tournament now, but significantly higher in, in their pressing intensity uh, than England. So we know that they are relentless in their press. Um, and as we mentioned before, we know that they like to, to win it high up. They've had 77 high turnovers in the tournament, which is, compare that with 62 for England. They show that there's a higher inclination for Germany to win the ball higher up. So I think as much as anything, England can't mess about with it at, at the back too much. We know how good... I guess Bright and Williamson are on the ball, but you know, especially when I was thinking about Bright having fewer touches, is that because maybe also Sweden looked to looked at Bright as maybe a pressing trigger as well? Essentially, I think that they can't be dallying with it too much at the back, England, because we know we've seen just how much Germany don't just press high, but they are effective when they press high in actually turning that press into shots. Of course, we've discussed how strong Pop is in the air. Uh, I noted that her previous international goal before this tournament started was in November 2019 and it was against England and it was a headed goal um, and 
it wasn't her rising above a defender and thumping it home like in the semi-final. It was more what you touched on, both of you earlier, about her movement within the penalty box to create distance between her and, and defenders and to get a free header at goal. That was uh, what happened there. So it, it, it sort of, at first I thought, well, Brighton-Williamson have absolutely proved themselves, Michael, aerially in this tournament, dominance really all round. But actually it's not just about going 1v1 in the air with Pop. It, it could be making sure you don't lose her when the ball is out wide and, and allow her space and time in the box. Yeah, I think that is spot on. And I think yeah, I mean, Bright's been really good early in the tournament. I think Williamson has been pretty solid as well. Do sometimes worry about the fullbacks. I mean, England conceded against the USA in the semi three years ago when Lucy Bronze kind of got a bit caught out at the far post. Rachel Daly, we know, not a natural defender, maybe not the, the biggest, most physical. So I do slightly worry about that. Um, but yeah, Pop is just, I mean, she's so good at timing runs. That second goal, the movement and the determination was, I mean, that's just classic number nine players. Absolutely. Well, what about the, the German weaknesses, obvious avenues for England to exploit? If they are a little loose in possession sometimes, Michael, well, we know how quickly England can pounce and strike and score within just a few seconds of a turnover. Certainly that game against Norway springs to mind. Uh, what else should England be looking to expose here in the German team? Yeah, I just think the fact that they, they seem to give the ball away quite a lot. I mean, I'd, I'd be looking to really crowd around Oberdorf if she if she only completes 61% of her passes. I think there's a good chance you can almost, uh, yeah, shock her into giving the ball away. Maybe the same for a couple of the centre-backs. Um, but I don't think England will try and do anything particularly different to, to usual. I mean, they've, they've got a... They've got a consistency and a, a familiarity that is, is working so far. Um, and I think it will be about the wingers. Um, maybe it's a game for Lauren Hemp. I thought this really, you know, I came into the tournament thinking it really could be, you know, she could be the star player. I'm not sure there's really any game that she's completely dominated so far. But up against Gwyn, who, like I say, is a, a tricky customer going forward, but not a natural defender. Maybe it could be a game for her. I, yeah, I completely agree. The only thing I'd add is that we spoke about Marina uh, Hegering before and she is a composed centre-back. She didn't have her best game against France, I don't think, but largely she is good on the ball, but she's not very tall for a centre-back. So you think about, we spoke about the aerial dominance of Pop, that maybe England could look to exploit her aerially. I don't know. And maybe think of Alessia Russo again. We won't go back into that. But the uh, the dominance that Russo has, if she were to come on, when she comes on, if she doesn't start, um, could be a real threat, given how Hegering isn't the tallest. Pop versus Mead. It's the battle for the golden boot, certainly, unless Russo can come off the bench and score a hat-trick, which you would say is beyond almost anyone apart from Alessia Russo. Um, is this also, do you think, the battle for player of the tournament, Michael, or, or would you prefer to not be blinded by goals and, and look a little deeper? I think it's probably others that come into it. I think both Oberdorf and Walsh are getting rave reviews, and rightly so. I think it's possible Leah Williamson could come into the equation for that as well. I think the, the captain of the team who hopefully will win it often seems to be bumped up a few marks. I must say, I think Pop's got to win it. I, I really, I think huh. to score in all five games and also, like I say, her pressing's been brilliant. I mean, it's, it's directly led to, to goals that wouldn't have come about if she hadn't pressed. So, I mean, unless anyone has an absolute stormer in the final, I think you've got to give it to to pop, and I must say, um, while we're talking about the golden boot, they still do this thing where if it's tied, it goes on assists, 
And I just, oh, I just don't think that's what a golden boot is. I, I if you <laughs> want to do it on, I mean, personally, I'd just say share it. But if you want to do it on minutes per goal, I, I don't care anything to do with goals, XG, total distance of goals, goals you've scored with your weaker foot. I don't care, but it's not about assists. <laughs> it, it doesn't come into it. Well, Mead has three assists and Pop has zero. So if it is tied, that looks like it'll be Mead. She also has, per Opta Analyst, the, the better XG uh, total and per 90. So um, uh, it looks like it, it, it's, it could be Mead's. Um, if, if Germany are 1-0 up and Russo comes on and scores two and England win 2-1, would you have like a moral issue with her winning player of the tournament having been probably the key factor in England winning the tournament despite not having started a game uh, I wouldn't object to that I mean she would then she would then be tied on six with the with the other two pres- yeah. presuming that neither of them score I mean uh, Reading's Adam Lefondre once won Premier League player of the month without starting a game all month um, <laughs> nice. so if it's, if it's good enough for Lefondre and this is pretty much the same award because it's basically a month of competition yeah, I'm, I'm if it's good it. enough for Lafondra, what a phrase! I, I like. I think a good plan B is like my favourite role in football. You know, like the kind of Olivier Giroud role. I, I just think it's brilliant. Okay, England versus Germany. One game to go. Sunday, five pm, Wembley. Michael Cox will be there. Thank you to him and Mark for well talking me through the whole tournament. To be honest, I have massively enjoyed being a part of the Athletic Football Tactics podcast during the Women's European Championships. And, well, there'll be plenty of reaction on the Athletic after the final. And in terms of pods, the Athletic Women's Football Podcast is the place to be. Their final Euros show will be live from Wembley. Uh, A serious cast as well. Kate Borsay, Tim Stillman, Jen O'Neill, of course, Lindsay Hooper, the roving reporter as well. They will have it all on the whistle reactions Um, interviews with fans either happy or sad Uh, that'll be the best insight into the final and the fallout from it it'll be available first thing Monday morning wherever you get your podcast so do make sure you're subscribed keep an eye out for the live blog that'll run throughout the day and certainly throughout the game uh, as well as everything Michael and Mark will be writing in the aftermath subscribe to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash tactics as for us well Next week, attention will turn to the start of the Premier League season. We've got a few ideas up our sleeve. Join us throughout the season. We'll be with you all the way, asking and answering questions about football tactics and analytics as best we can. As ever, thank you for joining us today and enjoy the final. The Athletic.